Hi everyone, welcome to Eclipse, the Heroes Podcast. My name is Keisha. And I'm Rachel. And today we are discussing episode 7 of season 1, Nothing to Hide. So before we get into talking about the episode, I have a little bit of a hero story to tell. Ooh. I went to the C2E2 convention, uh, not last weekend, but the weekend before, and came back with a souvenir of a cold. <laughs> Which was why there was no episode last week. Um, Cold and flu season, it's a serious thing. So I had originally went in thinking like, oh, I'm going to look to see if there's anything Heroes. And I didn't see anything Heroes, but I had decided to wear my Vote Petrolli pin to the convention. So I put my Vote Petrolli pin on my jacket just to see if anyone would say anything. Sure enough, someone took the bait. There was a booth for the local uh, CW station there at the convention. And it was like, you got, you got in line, you got to spin the wheel and you got a little prize. So there was like hardly in line. So I'm like, grabbed Aaron. We're like, let's go, you know, let's get in line, do this. And I get there and I spin the wheel. And one of the girls running it is like, is that like a hero's thing? And I'm like, yeah. And she's like, man, you don't see any of that around anymore. And I'm like, yeah. And she's like, (laughs) season one was so good. I don't know what happened after that. And I was just like, (sighs) (laughs) I was like, this is not the time or the place to get into it. (laughs) Is what I thought about it. Isn't it? I feel like it kind of is. Because, like, you know, there's, like, a line of people behind me. And I was just, like, you know, just smiled a little bit. And then, like, because she was, like, kept trying to be, like, like you know, um, just kept trying to be, like, I don't know what will like, happen. And, she's, and I'm, like, the writer's strike. like for, And she was, like, oh, it probably was that as, like, I walked away, you know, for, like, season two or whatever. You have so much more cool than I do. Oh, my God. I would have flipped out on this person that I don't know in the middle of the convention because it's all I can do now. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I just smiled. I was like, because, like, she's just, like, trying to make conversation, you know, and it just made me, like, yeah. chuckle a little bit. And I was like, I can't wait to relay this to Keisha. God. Yeah. She wouldn't tell me this story until we were recording, and I'm glad because I would have been angry for, like, two <laughs> weeks. It's just, you know, people like that never finish the show. For one thing, they never do. Yeah. Um, because we'll be the first to admit, and we're going to get there. It has ups and downs. We're very clear about this. Mm-hmm. But I can't stand people who think season one is perfect. It's not. If you talk to people that have listened, or, you know, not listened, but have watched the whole show, they definitely are fans of the later seasons as well. And like you said, I think a lot of people stopped after season two or like, the beginning of season three is when a lot of people probably dropped off. That's usually, yeah. People usually would finish Generations and then they wouldn't go through all the villains. That's where the drop-off happens. Yes. Most of the people in my life who I know who watch the show or who are watching the show at the time that I was, that's when they were like, eh. You just had to hold on a little bit. Which is a shame because villains, ugh. Villains is the bumpiest arc, I would argue, even more so than Generations. Yes. uh, Because it's more of it. But, um... Definitely stick with it because Fugitives comes along and kicks ass. Yes. Almost entirely. Well, that's why I was like saying the writer's strike because it's like the fallout of the writer's strike is that it is in villains and mm-hmm. like the fallout, like the lead, the build up to it is in, you know, generations. And I think it's worth noting, I've been doing a little more research myself just to kind of remember what was going on back then. They were under so much pressure that they fell apart behind the scenes just as much as anything. True. Like post-writer strike. Mm-hmm. Which, again, is all stuff we'll get into when we get to that point in the chronology of everything. Uh, right now, we are 
still in the beginning of season one. And we're gearing up for our big homecoming arc, which I'm super excited for. And it's going to have a lot of stuff that happens that changes the direction of the show. But right now we're, we're still building up to it. Uh, Rachel, what is going on with Parkman this episode? Yeah, well, we didn't have any Parkman in the last episode, if I remember correctly. Mm-mm. I don't believe so. No. And we don't really see a lot of fallout from the last time we saw him either, which was when he had his episode in the convenience store. Isn't it weird that that just doesn't get addressed? I swear it did, but clearly I'm remembering things wrong again, so. Yeah, me too. I thought it did too, but nope. No, it, no fallout for it. He's getting ready to go into work. He's had a, you know, a great um, few days with Janice. Everything is great until he overhears her thinking something along the lines of, Oh, I thought I'd been careful. Oh, God, he knows. And um, so that gets Matt a little suspicious. And then he books it out of the house after that. Like, oh, I don't want to confront this problem right now. I've got things to do. So we pick up with him again at work. And he's changing up the lockers, popping some aspirin. No doubt dwelling on what he overheard in his wife's mind. When who should stroll into the men's locker room but Audrey. And she's like, well, Matt, get dressed. We got to go. Siler has struck again. Dun dun. So that's exciting. They meet up at, are they at a hospital? I think. I don't remember if it was like the actual crime scene or if they were already in the morgue. But Audrey takes them to a, um, takes them to a corpse and it is an oncologist who is burnt to a crisp. They have like 1800 carries of radiation and um, they're excited to find a fingerprint seared to the bone. So they're going to run that through the database. But as of right now, they're like, oh, this is Siler. And it makes me wonder like, if the only M.O. Siler has as of this moment is just very unusual deaths. Probably. Because we've seen with Molly's parents that one was frozen, one was like pinned to the wall with knives. And we, I don't think on the show we've been told any other unusual deaths or what exactly had um, happened. We haven't been told any details and we don't even have a number until they say it. This no, episode. we just know that she has been following, she's been chasing Siler basically. And we've met him, like, you know, we've met him in the hallway when he tried to yoink Molly again. Stunt Siler, yeah. Yeah, and he like flew or jumped or, you know, the argument that goes <laughs> along with that. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, that takes me back. That argument. <laughs> Did he fly? What the fuck? He can't fly. <laughs> Who is this guy? Uh, oh my god. Oh man. Yeah. So we've seen him, but we haven't seen him because we haven't seen him. That's not him, but it's you know whatever. But, but yeah, TikTok. Yeah. Neither here nor there right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, not yet. <laughs> So there was a fingerprint. They're excited. They run it through the database and a man named Theodore Sprague comes up and they are so excited. They're like, gotcha, Siler. So then Matt and Audrey go to Sprague's house because they're going to, they're going to get this guy and they pull up and everything seems fine when they first get to the house and they go inside and it is, the back bedroom is just destroyed. Like fire broke out or something and they've got their little um radiation detectors and it starts going off when they get into the bedroom oh yeah big time so they they get the hell out of there pretty quickly oh before they leave though they notice that like there's a bunch of photos scattered around and only the faces on the photos are burned out they skedaddle and as they're skedaddling matt keeps getting calls from janice and he keeps ignoring them because again we're not going to confront what we heard in our wife's head right now We've got bigger fish. It's kind of Matt's whole thing. He's not a confronty kind of guy. No. He's an avoider. Yes. 
That's probably why his marriage is in trouble in the first place. Probably so. Because it's easier just to avoid it than to, like, confront any problems you have head on. Well, that's why it's great that he has a power like mind reading that he can't really ignore. That is true. You know, like, he can't just entirely avoid any concerns other people have anymore because they're right there and he can't not do it because he's you know he's got he's got that conflict of he likes to avoid things but he also wants to know things yeah he he wants the truth because he's a cop and now he's gotta you know exactly you get the truth matt yeah all of it the good and the bad and the ugly Mm-hmm. but you know to avoid talking about his wife he tells audrey that he doesn't think that this guy is siler that there's something about the crime and the crime scene that doesn't strike him as the same as what he saw earlier. And then he mentions that they found chemo meds with the same doctor who was dead. The corpse that they found is the one who prescribed Karen her meds. So they go to the hospital and sure enough, there is Karen. She is unconscious and who is right next to her, but her husband, Ted. And Ted just lays it out there. He admits that he kind of realizes why they're there. And he admits that, yes, he killed the doctor because he was mad at the doctor because he said that there was nothing he could do for his wife. So Ted takes control of the situation and kind of takes the nurse that's in there trying to help them hostage. And Matt is able to talk him down because he can hear Karen's thoughts. And Karen is saying, Ted, you need to stop. I don't blame you, Ted. It's not your fault. And then she dies after he goes through and talks Ted down and gets him to not completely kill this nurse who is left with a nasty burn on her arm, oh, I believe. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, she's she's got a scar in the shape of his hand. He's like borderline keeping it together with his ability. And um, so they're able to take him in and they run him through decontamination. And we see that um, Matt and Ted both have a similar mark on their neck as he's being decontaminated and processed for photos. And Matt is changing in the locker room. They both have this same little two-lined scar on their neck. Where did that come from? They made sure that you noticed that they both had the same thing going on. Yeah, having Matt, like, in the locker room, period, so that he would have to, you know, be in a position to show his neck and shoulder area like that. Also, I had totally forgotten about the mark. Same, same. Yeah. Before we started recording, I said another thing to Keisha that I completely forgot had happened that's going to happen in the next episode. So, man, it's exciting rewatching and remembering things. Yeah, and also remembering things wrongly. <laughs> yes. So Audrey gave Matt hell again about, you know, dodging his wife. So Matt ends up leaving her a nice message saying that, like, you know, I can't help but have a feeling that there's something you're still not telling me, Janice. And I don't want to leave things unsaid. And I love you. And then, like, five minutes later in the locker room, uh, his partner comes in, who was also in the locker room earlier. And I don't remember the partner's name. Do you remember his name? Tom McHenry. Tom, there you go. And he comes in and he's like, well, congrats because you're going to be retaking your detective exam, um, but you're going to be doing it uh, through interview and not through test. So he's like, congrats, Matt, you're going to be a detective. You know, your dyslexia won't get in the way this time. And then Matt's, you know, excited, like, yeah, I'm going to finally be a detective. But then he overhears his partner thinking what he really thinks, which is that Matt is a loser and that he is nailing his wife and she is so fine. Gasp. And Matt just punches him. And that it's kind of where we leave Matt off in this episode because he just punched his partner and his partner's like, what the fuck? And he knows now that his wife has been cheating on him. Mm-hmm. Done, done, done. Can I tell you what I've always loved about the scene of Matt punching Tom? Go for it. It takes like four guys to get him off of him. Yeah. <laughs> 
Grunny's a force, man. Grunberg is a force. He's he's a strong guy. He's all like, ah! He goes, like, full beast mode. I love it. Oh, yeah. Grunberg is fucking huge. Oh, yeah. I've always loved that. I've always like, ah, they have to have, like, the four guys, like, holding him back. It's so classic. <laughs> Hold me back. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, can I... Can I have a moment to talk about Ted Sprague? I don't care if this is spoilery. Go for it. Um, Go for it. So he has the marks, much like how Matt has the marks. So the company had him and then they let him go. And I think that the introduction of Ted is really important for a couple of reasons in the show. One of which being the company isn't always interested in just detaining all threats. They have a weird perspective on who needs to get put away and who needs to be put back in society. And we're going to see a lot more of that with the intercompany politics that become a big part of the show later, where dangerous individuals who clearly have powers they can't control are totally going to be let back out on the street like Ted. And if I recall correctly with Ted, I believe that them taking him also kind of triggered his power to go that extra level. It sure did, if I recall correctly as well. Um, and then the other thing with Ted as uh, so important as a character and so tragic as a character is he's a really well-meaning dude. He's a nice guy. He is not some monster. He's not Siler. He's not doing any of this to harm people intentionally or for any sort of personal gain. He's doing it for emotional reasons. He's doing it for personal reasons that he is in a really bad space because of the grief with his wife. And it's sad that, yeah, he's a nice guy. He's a good guy. But his power is such that it can't really be contained by just anybody. And so it's going to become a liability to him no matter what. It's going to make him a target. It's going to make him a weapon. It's going to force him into all these positions that if it were up to him, he would have nothing to do with. He's like the pinnacle guy who would just want to be normal because this power is nothing but trouble for him. It's not like other characters who will come along that have powers where you're like, oh, well, yeah, you could use this power for evil, but you could also use it for good. This is just really volatile and unstable and it's just he has a tragic story ted he's like isaac in a lot of ways he has a tragic story just through and through yes he does and i did all that without spoiling what happens to him no <laughs> no but you know i get a cookie um, yeah. you get like a, a sugar-free oat cookie i'm gonna kill you <laughs> <laughs> i want it on tape yeah, so those, those are like my two things I need to say other than that I love Audrey. But you already know that. Yes. Anytime, anytime Clay Duvall's on screen is a good time. Yeah, this is the side of Matt that is more interesting than just purely the relationship aspect of it. He's always at his most interesting when he's like got his cop side going or if he has an interesting partnership with a character. Like when it's him and Janice, I just want to die. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's just, uh, it's just never appealed. And I know we've said this, but um, yeah, it's it's when you pair him up with certain other characters that things get interesting. And Audrey's the first of many. Yeah. And um, while Claire's ability is not as um, volatile as Ted's, she is also has her fair share of problems this episode. And why don't you tell us about them, Keisha? So when we pop into the Bennett residence for the first time this episode, we see Sandra is getting ready to go on a big trip for it's a dog show right yep mr muggles is gonna be at a dog show so sandra is taking mr muggles in a little sweater 
nonetheless. Um, oh, that dog. <laughs> Sweater Muggles. Um, she's taking Mr. Muggles to exhibit at a dog show. So she's going to be out of town. It's Claire's responsibility to watch over Lyle, and she'll be back. I don't remember what she, like a couple days, maybe like a day. It was not a long trip. So basically it just means Claire and Lyle are going to be home alone together for a weekend, let's say. And Zach shows up too before Sandra leaves. And he goes to Claire and he's like, I found the tape again, which is really random because it had been missing for several episodes and he'd been really stressed out about it. But suddenly it's just right back where it was. Just, just, just hidden under some stuff in his backpack. Wasn't it under his sure bed? I'm sure he would have noticed. Was it his backpack? I think it was under his bed. Oh, it was like under his bed. Yeah. yeah. So it was like, oh, you lost it. Uh-huh. Sure. Um, so, so Zach finds the tape again, just out of nowhere. Really random. Which should be a relief because then the secret is safe once more. Unfortunately, <laughs> Lyle's a little shit of a little brother. Like, pretty much all little brothers are. He is going through Claire's stuff on the counter, and he finds the tape. Curiosity gets the better of the young boy. So he grabs it, and he decides to watch it. This is cool for us as an audience, because we get to see more of the tape. We get to see more of her many numbered attempts, including one where Claire is ran into by a car, which I always thought was kind of cool. Yep. So he's watching this, and he's just horror-stricken. What the hell is going on? What is going on with my sister? What kind of freak is she? And then Claire discovers what he's doing. She tries to lie and say, oh, hey, it's really cool. You can do a special effects these days, right? Which the funny thing is, you know, they, they, they talk about stuff later on in terms of, you know, people filming their own things and making their own little short movies. And maybe not in that year so much, but later on, you really could just make her tape at home with special effects. Oh, yeah. Like digital special effects are going to become so much more accessible from that year to now that I always thought it was kind of funny. It was like, actually, no, if it were a certain year, you probably could say that, but not so much then. And it, it looks too real and Lyle's freaked out and she tries to, yeah, she tries to play it off. Oh, it's just special effects. Ha ha ha. This is just a silly thing and it's not real and it's okay. And so he immediately tries to see if it's real or not because he's a little shit. <laughs> it doesn't even warn her or, or think twice. He grabs the stapler on uh, Mr. Bennett's desk and he staples her hand. <laughs> like a little psycho. And she, you know, exclaims because ow. Uh, as we know, Claire can feel pain. She just she just heals from it. So she 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 shrieks out when he staples her hand, and then the staple she pulls it out, and he watches as the blood sucks back into her wounds, and then the wounds get covered up. Another really fun little actual special effect shot, mm -hmm. and she looks at him like, "What the hell is wrong with you?" And he's like, "You're a freak!" Ah, and he freaks out. And she chases him out of the house because he is scared out of his mind now. And he runs out into the car and he locks himself into the car, which is such a little shit brother thing to do. And she's trying to get in. She's pounding on the windows. And he's like, you're an alien. You're a freak. Oh, my God. Get away from me. And I was like, Zach was like, yeah, we're aliens. We're going to probe you. <laughs> like, not helping. Not helping, dude. <laughs> so they're both trying to get into the car to stop him from freaking out and to try to minimize the damage done. And I always liked that Zach was there just trying to help her the whole time. He's a good friend to her. He is. 
I'm I'm saddened by what ends up happening behind the scenes that takes the character away from the show. Because I always liked their friendship. But he's in the car and he's like, I'm going to put this on YouTube and make a million dollars. And they say the most of the most wonderful words that age the hell out of the show. In which Zach says, YouTube is free, you idiot. Because it was. Back in the day when it first became a thing, YouTube was not something you could monetize. It was free. Like, he could have put it on there and it wouldn't have mattered. He wouldn't have made any money from it. Obviously, now that is different. He, he might have made money. I don't know. Like, depends on if he would have got flagged or not. But, um, so, he's, you know, freaking out. And Claire has this really nice moment with him at some point where she's just like, you can't tell anyone. You can't tell mom and dad. They'll you know, they'll take me away and we won't be a family anymore. And I hope that, you know, you wouldn't want that to happen. And it's this nice little sincere moment and it gets Lyle to unlock the car door and he gives him back the tape and then she thanks him and hugs him. And he's like, oh, whatever, I'll sell him little brother. And so, yeah, they've, they've got the tape back, but now one other person has seen it. And it's kind of a nice little, you know, foreshadowing to, how hard it's going to be to hide that ability in particular. But yeah, I don't know. What did, what did you think about the Texas stuff? Yeah, I liked that uh, it didn't take too much to uh, talk Lyle back down in mm-hmm. the end. Just like, you know, I we're not going to be a family anymore, Lyle. Yeah, because we don't know. I don't know if we ever found out that we assume that Lyle is also adopted. I don't remember if that was ever shaken out like one way or the other. Uh, Lyle? Mm-hmm. Lyle's a bio kid, isn't he? I don't think we ever got confirmation either way. I think in the comics, though, I think we do. Was it? I don't know. I feel like yes. Oh, Lyle's adoptive status is unclear. Thanks, Heroes Wiki. Yep, there you go. Because we don't know for sure. We never found out. I would assume that they continue to have their difficulties having a child and decide to adopt another. Mm -hmm. Everything says biological son other than that one thing, though. Really? Like, I don't think it ever was said one way or the other. I mean, the look of the kid, he could be a biological kid but you know you never know yeah he looks just like them yeah but yeah and it wouldn't be out of the ordinary for someone to adopt a kid and suddenly oh guess what you're pregnant oh totally so that's not outside but i mean i guess we just don't know Mm -mm, we do not know for lyle he does not lyle isn't a big part of the series really he comes and goes we never get an answer he's just like your prototypical uh often little sibling on any type of TV show that's not important to the plot. So they just kind of appear in the kitchen eating a snack sometimes or causing a a bit of a nuisance like in this episode. Uh, They're not like fully fleshed out characters. I don't know anything about Lyle. It's like the little sister on Boy Meets World, kind of. Mm, mm -hmm. Or, um... Or, like, Richie's older brother on Happy Days, if I can be a real old person for a minute. Like, like they're around. We know their names, but they don't have their own storylines. We never follow them. No. And, like, as of right now, I can't think of anything else majorly important that he gets into. Yeah, I don't... I don't think so. Not really. Like, yeah, he's just another person in peril if somebody comes by the house. Oh, true, yes. He's like Sandra, the, the people that don't know, you know. Little brothers are a real pain in the ass. You know who knows a lot about this in this episode? It's Nathan Petrelli. Why don't we learn all about the events taking place in our favorite dysfunctional family of the show? I'll be openly biased. I don't care. The Petrellis. Rachel, what's going on over there? Ah, uh, the Petrellis. So we kick off this uh, the episode with Peter talking to Charles DeVoe about stocks. And they have a lovely little conversation where uh, Charles 
tells Peter that in the end, all that matters is love and that he loves Peter. And uh, Peter gets all excited, like, you know what, Charles, I'm going to show you what I can do. And he throws open the windows and flies out, except it was all a dream. Because as you remember, Peter quit being Charles's nurse, but yet he had this little dream with him saying goodbye to him. And then moments later, Simone is at his door and tells him that her father died a couple hours ago. So this sort of rebrings Peter and Simone back together in a more organic way than him going over like, Simone, I need a painting. <laughs> So he clearly wasn't like, you know, running off to go get that painting very urgently. He and Simone then go to Isaac's to let him know too that her father had died. But his place is empty. He is gone and his paintings. Everything's gone. And uh, they both think that's a little weird. Like he was just here the other day. I don't know why he would pick up and just leave. And um, Simone also tells him, uh, tells Peter that before her father died, he said that he was flying all over the world and he saw that it was a bad one, but it's okay because Peter was flying with him in it and he would save the world. And then Charles died. So this sort of changes Simone's tune a little bit about the things that not only Isaac has been saying, but Peter has been saying. Because Peter did actually leave a message on her voice machine asking about a pa the painting that they want to see that goes with that series. And she says that, unfortunately, I don't have it anymore that Linderman bought the painting. So you will have to ask him for it. And Peter knows exactly who he can ask to ask Linderman for the painting. And that is his older brother, <laughs> Nathan. So we, we go on to Nathan, who is at home looking over postcards for his campaign, because that's what he's spending his 4 million that Linderman gave him on our postcards. And we get to meet his wife this episode. We get to meet Heidi Petrelli. And Heidi is just lovely. You can tell that this is definitely a person who would marry Nathan. Because uh, she later in the episode said that, like, um, she lost her uh, right to be sensitive when she married Nathan. Because mm -hmm. we get the reveal that Heidi is in a wheelchair. And this is not something that she has always been in. And she's basically been in hiding for six months. Because there was some sort of car accident that involved Nathan and her, and she ended up being paralyzed. So as they're looking at postcards, uh, Angela's there, and she's like, well, there's a reporter that wants to do a story on you, Nathan, and he wants to come over for brunch. Or rather, I invited him over for brunch, and Nathan's like, we never have brunch. <laughs> what are you talking about? What do you mean we always have brunch? Nathan isn't sure about it, but Heidi's like, no, I'm ready to come forward and let people see how I am. I'm not a hindrance to your campaign. You're a few points behind. Use me so that we can we can win. And I love it because Nathan's like, all right. And then Angela's like, great. He'll be here in an hour. Ah, <laughs> oh, Angela. Angela, why are you the best? So uh, the reporter's name is like Dennison. Is it like Oliver Dennison or... Oliver Dennison. Oliver Dennison. Wow. I can't, I did not write Oliver down. So I'm glad that I remember that. Um, I always write the names down just in case I wrote Dennison down. I didn't write Oliver. He's sitting down and they're having brunch with, uh, with Angela and Heidi. And you've got Simon and Monty who are his children. They're all sitting down enjoying a little brunch when, um, a very confused Peter walks in on brunch. <laughs> he looks around like, why is everyone dressed up? What is happening? And, uh, Peter's like, yeah, what's going on? And Angela's like, we're having brunch. And he's like, since when? <laughs> we always have brunch, Peter. <laughs> so uh, Nathan pretty quickly gets up, grabs him, and pulls him aside. 
And he's like, uh, what the fuck, Peter? Peter tells Nathan that Charles died. Peter tells Nathan that he needs a painting from Linderman. And he's like, for fuck's sake, don't bring Linderman up right now. <laughs> There's a reporter in the next room. My whole political career right now rides on us having one family meal together. One family meal. And um, Peter is leaning in on Nathan right now because he has him where he wants him. This is kind of payback for what happened at the um, the fundraiser. And he's like, you know, should I just go out there and tell him we can fly? Let's go fly in front of the reporter right now. Come on, let's do it, Nathan. And Nathan's like, oh my God, my life is over. Peter is living his best life right now. <laughs> and... Uh, just goes strolling back and Nathan is like oh I'm this is terrible and, but Peter just immediately turns on the charm and is like oh Nathan just gave me an earful for wearing cords and he sits down like mm, let's eat yum 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 what's for brunch and um Peter just, just starts laying it on thick for this reporter if Nathan <laughs> takes care of the people half as much as he takes care of his little brother it will be an interesting city <laughs> But then, you know, brunch carries on a little bit and Dennison brings up to Nathan that uh, he knows about his little trip to Vegas and that there was a time where he disappeared and a blonde was involved. And uh, you can tell that Nathan's like, oh, how am I going to spend this? <laughs> but he just gets to sit back because Peter steps on in and does it for him. And he's like, yeah, I, you know, I don't want to hide anymore, Nathan. We have to tell the truth. Um, it was for me. He told you about how my mental health has been and uh, he was there to talk to a doctor for me that's who the blonde was and um it was a private clinic and i made nathan promise not to tell anyone but like you know i'm gonna come clean now i don't want any secrets and nathan is just like yeah that's my brother i'll do anything for him isn't that great aren't i a great brother and so they successfully navigate the brunch and um after the brunch uh nathan gets a phone call from nikki and She's freaking out because she wants to find Micah, and we'll talk more about Nikki uh, here in a minute. But he pretty much is like, I can't talk right now, and hangs up. And who should roll up to him after he hung up but his wife? And she asks Nathan if he still loves her and tells him that if you tell me that Peter was telling the truth, I will believe you, and I will let it go. Because she obviously, she's been with this family for long enough that she senses that that doesn't quite smell like what the truth is. Heidi says that she needs hope because the doctor said there is a chance that she can walk again. Mm -hmm. And part of that hope is that Nathan still loves her. And that's why she asks if Peter was telling the truth about the blonde in Vegas. And Nathan, of course, lies and says, yes, Peter was telling the truth about the blonde in Vegas. And uh, we see them part. And we also see Nathan make a phone call to Linderman asking about the painting. And it seems like from the phone call that he's going to get the painting. But then we see Nathan uh, a few minutes later show up at Peter's place. And Peter's upset. He's like, you have to tell Heidi the truth. I covered for your ass, but you know, that's not cool, man. And uh, Nathan's like, I wanted to be with something, someone who didn't make me feel guilty every time I looked at her. And again, whatever happened with the car accident, it seems to be Nathan's fault. And we do find out what happened with the car accident. So I won't get into it here. And then Nathan tells Peter that he doesn't have the painting and lays it in on Peter about how he again needs to just quit it with the flying, quit it with the save the world stuff. It's a fantasy and it's not real. And then he, he tells Peter like the reason I went missing in Vegas is because two guys kidnapped me. This guy in the hormone glasses and this spooky Euro dude. And in order to get away, I had to fly. <laughs> and Peter does not believe him. Peter does not believe this story that he just told him. Because Nathan's a liar. 
Yeah. So Nathan actually is telling him the truth, and Peter just does not believe that someone, two people, tried to kidnap him. And Nathan immediately assumed that it was because of they figured out that he could fly. Because he's like, you know what, Peter? What would they do to people like us if they knew what we were capable of? They would lock us up and they would throw away the key, which is a huge foreshadow for Nathan in particular and the rest of the series. And so that's sort of where we leave the brothers off. Do you have anything to add, Keisha? So the thing that I like about the interactions between Peter and Nathan, the push and pull throughout their scenes together in this episode, during brunch, when they're alone, when they're back in brunch, is it shows you the conflict, yes, but also the love from both sides. Uh, Peter wanting to be a little shit, but also when it comes down to it, he wants to support his brother and he wants to be there for his brother with the whole thing with Nikki in Vegas and getting exposed like in front of the family. Peter is willing always to jump into any and all oncoming bullets for Nathan. That's going to matter a great deal throughout the series. Uh, but at the same time, it's like, yeah, he did that to try to help Nathan out. But then it's like, aha, I've got you over a barrel now. Now I can get, you know, maybe something, what I want from it. I don't think he was thinking of it like that, but it was true. I mean, he owed him at that point. Mm-hmm. He just wasn't willing to pay up. <laughs> oh, no. Because, um, again, it's the push and pull between them. Uh, Nathan, because when he gets a hold of Linderman, you're like, oh, he's going to give him the painting. Isn't that nice? I remember thinking that then. Yep. And uh, I also love they make a, a really nice bit of uh, set design choice when he's calling Linderman to ask for the painting. You can see his military photo in the background. It's yes. the first time we've seen it. So I thought that was kind of a, a neat little touch. Uh, but you, <laughs> you didn't say one of Nathan's like best lines because he gets all the best lines in the show. Mm. When he comes over to Peter's apartment and says that, you know, he can't get the painting or whatever. When they're talking about, you know how Peter needs to give this up and how it's just not practical. And Nathan goes, I don't have a gun. I don't have a badge. I don't know karate. <laughs> like, what am I going to really do? You know, what if people knew? Okay, sure. But what can I do? I can't do anything. You know, these two guys tried to kidnap me in Vegas. I couldn't do anything. I got lucky, you know, because Bennett's phone rang and he was distracted. Um, I just, I, I don't know. I, I love the brothers. I love their, their relationship. It's such a core of the show for such a long time. Their whole like practicality versus dreamer versus the harsh realities of the real world versus a world that is not the real world anymore. Increasingly so as more and more people with powers come forward and their concerns get bigger and they become threats to more than just a few people in their lives that becomes, you know, more connected. We've, we've still have New York City to think about. We're all thinking about saving the cheerleader, but we also have to remember that New York's probably going to explode. We know a little bit about it from the hero stuff, but everybody else is still going to have to catch up to this. So Peter has real concerns, but he's not going to be able to express them to Nathan because Nathan's just too practical and he's too focused and he just, he, well, we've talked about this before. He hates the part of himself that can fly. And you see why in a big way. And it relates to the stuff they talked about six months ago, which is something you keep hearing that. Oh, six months ago, this happened. Oh, six months ago, that happened. Well, that's because it's when a lot of important things happen for a lot of characters on this show. And we're going to get to see a lot of it coming up, which I'm really excited about. Yes, in the conveniently titled episode six months ago. So convenient. It's that period of time where it's not like, oh, it's not like it was a year ago. Or it's like, it's the recent past, you know. 
yeah, very recent. But yeah, that's that's pretty much all I have to, to add to that. Uh, I, <laughs> there's It's going to be so cool once we get to later volumes where we're going to see a lot of book ending with what Nathan said would happen if people knew about them and how Peter, you know, reacts to that and how they both navigate the secret coming out, I guess you could say. Yes, because as of right now, even um, Nathan says they would lock us up, but we've been seeing or we haven't been seeing that with the company right now. We've been letting people go. But, you know, if I may spoil, they they also have people locked up. But do we know that yet? Like, well, we don't know that yet, but I'm saying it. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> like, I'm like, as of right now, we yeah, don't yeah. know. No, as of right now, we don't know. Yeah. yeah. It's it's a it's a catch and release kind of thing. Yes, we don't know about everything yet. We don't know about everything or everyone no. or certain buildings or certain people. <laughs> no, uh, which will be fun to talk about down the road. Yes, um, mm-hmm. we got a little glimpse that Nikki's not having a great time, not great enough that she's calling Nathan her one night stand again. So uh, why don't we? go over and catch up with Nikki and and her husband who's come back. Well, as you'll recall, they had a bit of a spat. <laughs> <laughs> which is which is putting it lightly. They had a knockdown drag out fight which left Nikki slash Jessica passed out on the ground, DL leaving with Micah, and now Micah and DL are on the run and Micah is not having it. He is totally pouting. He is worried about his mom. He's worried about all of this, really. And he's disappointed with his father, who once said that he was like Superman. Because according to Micah, heroes don't run away. Bad guys do when you're a bad guy. Ouch. It's 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 such the like simplistic way that kids see things, though. It's also black and white. And this show in particular is not going to be able to afford that kind of thinking. But right now in the beginning, it's very that. It's very, oh, there's good guys, there's bad guys. This is what good guys do, this is what bad guys do. So Micah and DL are on the run and as they are driving, they come upon a burning car wreck and DL, I think has what Micah said on his mind about like, you're a bad guy and he's feeling guilty and he wants to prove to his son that no, what he can do, he can be a hero with. So he decides to go into this car accident scene and try to save the people inside. Now, conveniently and fortunately for DL, Hiro and Ando also happen to be in uh, a car on a trip and they are right behind them on the road because, you know, they're still in Nevada, so it would make sense. It's not that big of a leap. So they also stop when they see the burning car wreck. And (laughs) it's great because you get to see the power of a team up of characters with abilities. That's something that's going to be real important later on is that, yes, these people can do cool things, but they're even better when they can pair with other people. Because DL, yeah, he can phase into this car where somebody is stuck in a burning wreck and he can try to pull them out. But the car's still on fire and it's going to go. So conveniently, you have someone there who can stop time. And that's exactly what happens. The car is about to explode. It's going to be like a big tragedy, but Hero can stop time. And save everybody. Uh, Amusingly, though, he does not have super strength. So (laughs) he has to drag everybody away manually, which is so funny. (laughs) He's like, oh, why can't I have super strength, too? Just bemoaning his his lack of being able to do this. It's like, hey, man, you can you can do a lot of things like you can't have everything. 
no one can, not for very long, wink, <laughs> wink. So, <laughs> so he goes and he helps save the day. And Hiro meets Micah. And so Hiro has that issue of Ninth Wonders from the future. And he shows Micah, like, I knew this was going to happen. Look, here we all are. I saved people. It's what I do. I'm a hero. And there's this really, there's this really great bit where Micah recognizes Hanto, <laughs> which I love. I love that little moment so much. He's like, hey, weren't you at my mom's house? <laughs> and I was like, oh, what? No. <laughs> like, awkward. Um, but yeah, it just goes back to, you know, it's a nice little, like, moment of, what these characters can do with their abilities when they are purely in the position to help people, when they don't have to worry about the threats of, you know, shadow organizations or shadowy villains. These are just normal people who got in a car accident and they can use their powers to save them. And that's cool because that's the really simplistic view of what you could do in the real world with these powers. It's kind of like a Peter Petrelli way of thinking. Is he's just like, oh, there's a problem. I can do a thing no one else can do. So I'm going to solve it because I can. It's not as complicated as it's going to become. It's not as, there aren't as many shades of gray, haha, as there's going to be later on. So anyway, it's, yeah, it's Micah's childhood sense of morality. Everything's black and white, but the real world does not go that way. Uh, that's the thing is it's like, you can say someone like Nathan Petrelli's an asshole, but he's not wrong. He's not wrong. It, it, it's just, there's always going to be people who are, are afraid. There's always going to be people who use their abilities for bad things. It's not going to be as just simple as, oh, I can just, I can help anyone who needs help. You're going to have opposition come up. And so I like them getting to do just like a really simplified version of like, this is what a hero is. This is just, they can use what they can do and they can have a really great impact on people's lives and they can save people when it doesn't get too complicated, like it's about to. So it's nice to have that moment right now before things are gonna get really complicated. Um, so while this is all happening, Nikki wakes up and she's freaking out because Mike is gone and she doesn't know what to do. And so the only person she can turn to after Nathan turns her down is of course, Jessica. And she's like, I don't know what to do. He took Micah, everything's ruined. I can't do anything about it, but you can. So she lets Jessica take the reins. As we can see, the tattoo shows up again. And she is, yeah, it's Jessica now. Nikki is, you know, been, been put on the shelf. Jessica has taken over. Jessica's going to get things handled. She's going to TCB. She's going to take care of business. And at the end of the episode, we get our Mohinder log back. Yay because we didn't get it at the start, because um, we have the Charles and Peter stuff. And we learn when DL and Micah are at a motel, Micah does indeed have a power, the thing that was hinted toward. He can speak, quote unquote, to machines. So he goes to a broken payphone, he does his thing, and it works, but only for him. And he calls home, and he immediately can tell the difference between Nikki and Jessica. He knows that that's not his mom talking. And Jessica has this really great moment where she has like her big action moment prep where she's in um, a room that's all one color. It's a blue lit room and she's loading guns because <laughs> she's going to go fuck DL up basically. <laughs> There's no love lost between Jessica and DL at all. Mm -hmm. So that's what happens is they talk and he tells her where they're at and she's going to come get him. 
and DL comes upon him as he just gets off the phone with Jessica and he's like, what are you doing? Are you calling anyone? And he's like, no, dad, I'm just playing. Because when he puts the receiver to his ear, it's still broken. It's just fuzz. And so that's our cliffhanger. It's a really soft cliffhanger. It's just Jessica's coming. You better be prepared. Round two is not going to go the same way as round one. Round two, she's got a gun. <laughs> did you have, Did you have anything you wanted to add to the adventures in Las Vegas? Um, I'm just going to note that uh, Micah's power was in the original pilot. The unaired pilot. Uh, oh, yeah. He gets revealed really quickly. Yeah, because he and DL both are in the unaired pilot. So it's been a little difficult to kind of dance around. Like, I don't know if Micah has the power when, like, in the back of my mind, yes, I know. Micah <laughs> has the power. I think that's about all I had to say about it. Yeah. The only other thing I would add, because I like adding spoiler stuff, is um, uh, DL going into a burning car wreck is really horrible foreshadowing for his future and his oh death. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <clears throat> no. He gets done dirty. I'm pretty sure we've said that before, yes. but he does. Pour one out for DL. Yeah. Sorry, dude. Thank you for joining us with this episode of Eclipsed, a Heroes podcast. We are gearing up for some really exciting story arc stuff right now. We're we're in the homecoming arc now, baby. I can't wait for the next episode. Uh, until then, please feel free to reach out to us on our social media accounts, which Rachel will let you know all about. Rachel? You can send us an email, eclipsepod at gmail.com. And uh, we're on Twitter, at eclipsepodcast. And you can join our Discord. There will be a link in the show notes. And I think that pretty much nails it. Uh, yeah, so let us know how we're doing. Uh, feel free to, you know, subscribe, like, review, all the things. We're on all the different podcast mediums, really. We're on all the, all the places you can listen. Yeah, let us know how you're feeling about this part of the journey. Uh, I think a lot of you are waiting for Homecoming and Beyond because of certain characters and events. I know I'm really stoked. But yeah, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Next time on Eclipsed, Ted teaches us how to boil water. Mohinder struggles with his daddy issues. Mr. Bennett is not your average paper salesman. And we meet Charlie the waitress who serves us a meal with a smile and a slice of murder. Tune in. Mm.